Welcome to the Talking Freelance Podcast. If you're new to freelancing or looking to maximize your success on platforms like Upwork, you're in the right place. Each week, we invite industry experts and freelance superstars where we unpack their strategies and hear their stories on how they launched and grew their own freelance businesses. Here's your host, a successful entrepreneur, freelancer, and success strategist, Leah Myers. Welcome to the Talking Freelance Podcast. Today, I have Hannah who is the CEO and founder of Heronworks, a contract project management company. And I'm super excited to talk to her and get her feedback and ideas, tips, tricks, all of the things on what she looks for when she's hiring for contractors, whether it is on the Upwork platform or off the Upwork platform. So we're going to talk about like how to make your proposals or your resume stand out, how to stand out in interviews, how to do great follow-ups, like all of those things coming at it from a different perspective than we have. Um, Because what I'm finding and what a lot of feedback I've been getting from all of you listeners is that there's not a lot of um, ways that you can stand out or you have lots of questions on how to stand out when there's people applying for 20 to 50 jobs where you truly can stand out and win those jobs, um, especially now that you have to pay for connects and all that on Upwork. So welcome. I'm so excited to start the conversation with you, Hannah. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So if you want to start by just telling a little bit about yourself, about your history, how you um, founded your company, and then we'll just take it from there. Yeah. So about five years ago, I started doing contract project management work. So that was my specialty. I was getting my MBA at the time and I needed some work that was flexible, freelance, and gave me experience in a lot of different industries. I always encourage people to start off with freelancing when they're looking to make a move, when they're looking to change careers. I think it's a wonderful way to not just build your skills, but also really build your connections. So I started out doing that. I worked with clients in several different industries. I worked with uh, web developers, uh, security, a cybersecurity company, a fintech company, and I was doing project management work for all of those agencies, but it looked very different for all of my clients. So I built up my portfolio to fit the time that I had available. And then when I finished my MBA program, one of my clients actually asked me to come on full time, but my other clients didn't want to let me go. So that's where I founded my agency because the need for you know quality project management just really outpaced the time that I had available. And so I realized that there was demand. I founded my agency and um, it's gotten really positive feedback over the years that we've been open when people are looking for quality people and they want someone to do the work of vetting themselves. It's a huge lift. You know, hiring managers have to spend a ton of time sifting through applications and finding the perfect person, managing the onboarding, managing the contractor freelancer on an ongoing basis. And so that's kind of where we fit in and what our value proposition is. Awesome. I love that. So um, let's jump in and talk about how, okay, so when you're a reviewing proposals or you're, when you're reviewing applicants, what are some things that like stand out to you and why? So love this question. Um, I have a kind of specific formula that I use. So one thing that stands out to me always is relevant experience. So when I say relevant, I mean as specific to the situation as possible. And if you don't actually have that experience, you can still speak to it, but it shows that you're listening to the client's needs. It shows that you're able to apply your skills, your background, your history, and your passion. If you don't have experience, your interests 
to the job at hand. So I definitely look for that. Like for example, if I'm hiring for a household manager, I'm not necessarily looking for somebody that's been a house manager, but I'm looking for somebody that has managed their own home. So that would be somebody that doesn't have traditional work experience. Maybe they've done some freelance, virtual assisting, whatever it may be, but they've managed their own home. So they understand the experience that the client has and they understand what it means to be successful in this role. So I look for relevant experience. I always ask people to highlight that if it's not on their resume, because I find that a lot of experience that's relevant for roles I'm filling doesn't necessarily come across in a resume. And even if it does, I want to give them the opportunity to really direct my attention to something that is going to make them stand out, that's going to make them a really competitive applicant. So as opposed to saying, oh, tell me your KPIs and your metrics and how much money you've raised and how many projects you've managed, et cetera, et cetera, I say, Pick something out that I would suggest pick something out that's hyper relevant to the task and the job at hand and talk about how you did it, you want to do it, you would be good at it, whatever it is. It reflects very well on you because it shows that you're listening and it shows that you're able to respond accurately. And that's really, really important for the day-to-day of working together. Um, Other things I look for is experience with the technology that's required. So we work with a lot of digital marketing agencies, and so they all have their own suite of products that they use. And I don't want to spend a lot of time training somebody in a system. I prefer that they have the experience. So what a lot of project managers will do is there's about, you know, maybe eight or 10 standard project management tools out there on the market. I've used most of them. Most seasoned project managers have used most of them. But what they'll say to me is, I haven't used this this tool, but I understand how it works and I'm willing to learn. That's an acceptable proxy if you don't have specific experience in the tool that we're hiring for. There's always exceptions to that because there's always going to be something that's highly technical that you really need to have experience on. But if someone has experience in Asana, which is a platform, a project management tool, very interchangeable with Monday, and I need somebody who has experience with Mondays, I would consider them, but I'm naturally going to gravitate towards somebody who lists out the technology that I want on their resume. So it's going to jump out to me if you say you have experience in that. That's definitely helpful. Um, Another thing I would say is when your rate matches the rate that's being offered, and this is an insight that I think a lot of people underestimate, but as a hiring manager, I want to know that you're going to feel satisfied in this role and you're going to want to stay and grow for a long time. Because I like to think that all of my projects that start out as short-term are long-term relationships. And that's been the case for almost all of my clients. It's very rare that a short-term project doesn't turn into a longer-term engagement. So if you are not appropriately matched with the rate that's being offered and you're temporarily lowering your rate because you have a slim client roster right now and you need the work, that's great for you. But if you see that inconsistency as a hiring manager, you're going to be concerned about longevity because you're going to be concerned about that contractor undervaluing themselves, feeling frustrated and underappreciated, and ultimately switching to a different client who's going to pay them more. So price matching, very important to us. Awesome. I love that. Just a couple of responses. So for me, when I am submitting those proposals, um, I will definitely call out the specifics that are in the job that people are looking for. I'm not going to say a blanket statement of like, I know that I can meet and exceed your expectations on, you know, what you're hiring for. To me, that as a hiring, if I was hiring someone, I would not give them a second thought because they were not detailed enough. But when I submit those proposals is I have like direct 
responses to what they're asking for. I do include, like, I do have a portion of my, of my proposal that is copy and paste because it's truly about me and it gets the client thinking about more of what I can offer that they may not have thought about. Um, and then just to respond to your comment where you have like six or seven, eight different, um, project management softwares and things like that. How would you react if someone said that they were like an expert or, you know, very confident in all eight of them? Because in my response, I would not put like if they're technology and they're requiring like a laundry list of all the technology, I'm going to say like, this is where I rank myself. But technology, technology platforms are constantly changing and there's new features Mm -hmm. constantly being added. So for me, I can't stay on top of the latest and greatest and be an expert in every single platform, which is why I personally niched down years ago into one platform that I develop, develop courses and memberships on. And that's been a huge calling card for me. So I'd love to get your, your feedback if someone would say that they're an expert in multiple platforms. Yeah. So I think with your um, expertise being centered in one platform, that's part of your brand. And I think that that makes sense if you're niching down. Project managers tend to be generalists by nature. And that means that they're able to jump into a lot of different situations, apply the skills from one industry to another. The ability to sufficiently manage one project management system usually transfers with 80 to 90% success to another project management software. I don't expect people to stay up to date on all of the technology trends and updates that are happening within each system, but I want them to know, I want to know that they either have experience using it, they've used something very similar, and most importantly, that they're willing to learn more about the system. Mm -hmm. And I say that specifically because in the case of my project managers, some exceptions were designing a system from the ground up. But if we're working with a more established agency, they're going to have workflows and they're going to have SOPs and they're going to have systems in place. So I need a project manager that can use Asana completely differently between different clients and can understand how can we optimize this for success coming at it from two different approaches to fit with what the client's requirements are. So yeah, I don't expect them to stay up to date on everything and do all the webinars. That's not a requirement by any means. Okay. Awesome. Um, So now shifting, or do you have anything else to share on like how to stand out on the proposals or do you want to shift into like the standout interviews? I mean, I think one thing I would say is that as you're crafting your resume, one thing that I love to see is a really easy to read resume. So when you have, if you're attaching a resume to your proposal, or if you're applying for a freelance role independently of Upwork, a resume that stands out and highlights your relevant experience, it's got to be easy to read. It's got to have a really nice flow and the format needs to draw the eye. Um, And there's a lot of different formats out there and there's a lot of um, feedback depending on who you're hiring manager is as far as what format they want and one page versus two picture, no picture, all those kinds of things. Ultimately, I need to be able to look at your resume and I need to be able to tell that you're a qualified applicant for this in three to five seconds. And even that is generous because I'm looking at, you know, 50 to hundred resumes for each role that I'm looking at. So I highly recommend highlighting whatever your title is. So if you're applying for, in my case, a role of project management, and you have project coordination experience, 
put project manager at the very top of your resume. That's your identity. That's what you're bringing to the table. Those are your skills. I'm going to read the fine print and that's fine, but I want to see you signaling to me that you're ready to step into this role. And I think that's really important to me. And then with the world of AI, you've got bots crawling all of our resumes. And so you need to be able to pick out those keywords. And if there's not a really good match, you're going to be disqualified if it isn't a human eye looking at your resume. So I highly recommend picking out those keywords, specifically the role that you're applying for um, and highlighting that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. So let's jump into interviews and how to stand out amongst the competition and leave that um, memorable stamp in their minds so they think about you well after that interview when they're in the decision-making process. Yeah. I think the interview is really important. I have a very specific way that I interview. There's a lot of different philosophies to it, but Personally, I approach an interview as an introduction, not as an interview. I want it to be a casual conversation because I think that that's the best indicator of how we're going to work together. So I want to know how you have a conversation. Are you going to show up on time? That's a big one for me is promptness. Um, showing up with your video on, showing up with a quiet professional setting. If you have kids, it doesn't bother me. If your kids are homesick or whatever, like that doesn't bother me. But showing that you're able to be present and you're able to say, you know, this happens all the time because I hire a lot of, you know, people who are at home with their children. And they say, excuse me, I need to take care of this. I'm like, absolutely. We're all our full selves. We don't need to segment between work and life because these days, especially post-pandemic, the two are very blended. So seeing that you're able to, you know, manage different things, competing priorities, that's important. But literally, I just approach it as a conversation because I want to know that we are going to be a good fit for each other as a team. So there's two very important things that I consider when I'm hiring somebody. It's not scientific, but I learned this from other hiring company, other hiring managers and companies' philosophies. So one is cultural fit. So this is a really loaded one, and this is really problematic because what companies tend to do is they look for people that identify with the common culture of the company. The biggest indicator is, does the hiring manager have something in common with the person that they're interviewing, whether it's their race, their gender, their age, their alma mater, where they're from, how many children they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we see a lot of unspoken bias in the hiring process based on identity, which is problematic because it perpetuates homogeny in the workplace. So if you ever walk into a room or you see a picture or you're watching a TV show of a tech company and it all all the people who run the tech company look the same, that's because there's a prototype of what it means to be successful in tech. A little bit more outdated now, but it used to be the Mark Zuckerberg model. It's a white man wearing a hoodie dressed casually, a little bit socially awkward. Those are the indicators for success that people are trying to replicate. So if Mark Zuckerberg hires somebody that looks like him and acts like him and talks like him, that person's going to hire another person that replicates them. And then all of a sudden you have a room and a company full of white men wearing hoodies. Problematic. And we don't need to get any, I think we can leave it there. It's highly problematic. So cultural fit, I think of it as personality conversation flow, shared experiences or interest in each other's experiences where they differ, those kinds of things. Are we going to have a good working relationship? Because when we're working together, there needs to be a good energy between us. And that should 
should transcend identity. It doesn't always, so we have to be very careful about hiring bias there. The other thing is the value add. So this is where it gets more interesting. The value add, this is actually something that Amazon does. When they're hiring people for teams, they're looking for somebody that's going to bring something to the table that isn't already on the team. They don't want to replicate. They don't want a drone. They don't want an extension of the CEO. That's where you get that cultural fit gone wrong. They want somebody that's going to bring a perspective and a set of talents and skills to the table that's not already there. So they're diversifying their talents within the team. This is really important because it encourages you to think outside the box and it encourages you to think, okay, this person doesn't align with 100% of the requirements of this job, but they bring a really interesting set of skills or experiences or straight up perspective that's going to enhance this team. And that's more valuable than having perfect alignment with skills. I think this is really important for diversifying teams and workplaces, but I think it's also really important for expanding what a team is actually able to do. If you hire replicas of people, you will only be able to continue along the path that you've created until you bring in fresh ideas and fresh perspective. And if you're trying to solve a problem, you're going to need a lot of different heads around the table to solve that problem who are looking at the problem from lots of different perspectives. So cultural fit, value add, emphasis on the value add. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, So Tell me more on um, – we talked a little bit before we started the recording. I was super interested, like, the first and the last interview, like, how to stand out specifically, if, and then we can segue into, like, the importance of following up after the interview, some tips and tricks there, too. Yeah. So I think that um, – I have a bias for quick action. So people who are responding to a post that I'm making within, you know, 24 hours, I think shows that they're on top of it. They're actively seeking work. They're engaged. They're not letting something languish. They're engaged in the process. They're applying for things quickly. I think that's helpful. It doesn't need to be absolutely immediate, you know, um, so I like it when people take that initiative, obviously not a requirement, especially if you're looking for somebody with really specialized skills, you're going to need to have a, a, a long hiring window to make sure that you're capturing the people that you need to have a candidate pool that's competitive. Um, but there is definitely bias towards, it's called recency bias, towards the people that you have talked to most recently. So at the beginning of the hiring process, that's going to be the first person you interview. And at the end of the hiring, you know, the end of the interview process, it'll be the last person. So one of the ways that I try to um, combat that is I take really detailed notes when I'm interviewing people. And I make sure to capture specific details that will help me remember what that conversation was like, what we talked about, what I liked and didn't like about them. Those are private notes. You know, this is something that I, it's, it's not a form I'm filling out with HR. It's not a scoring method that I'm using. There's not a science to it. Um, but it's something that allows me to be able to look at my list of candidates and quickly recall who's a top candidate and why. So I definitely recommend that uh, for the hiring manager perspective. But from the interviewer perspective, you want to have a connection with the person that's interviewing you. You want to be prompt. You want to be on video. You want to show up with your full self. Um, and you are also evaluating them and if it's going to be a good fit for you. So at the end of the conversation, you should say, I think this is a really good fit. I think we're going to work really well together. And I think we can do incredible things together. That's going to make a lasting impression because it shows that you have commitment to the team. You're going to bring your full self and that you have a bigger picture vision that maybe is 
bigger and better than what the team you're joining already had. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that. So what can the applicants do after the interview? Um, what are some applicants that have really stood out to you in the past? What have they done to leave that memorable um, impression? I mean, I think a follow-up note is definitely key. Um, I don't know. I would say maybe 10 or 20% of interviewees sent a follow-up note immediately after. And by immediately, I mean within like 12 hours, like one business day. Um, That's really important that the response is prompt when business day is appropriate. You don't want to feel like they're not on top of it and that you're not high on their to-do list. So a prompt follow-up response, something nice, reference what you guys talked about. You know, this is digital era. It doesn't need to be a handwritten note or anything. Maybe reference something, uh, an article that answers a question that, you know, you guys might have been ruminating on together. Something that shows, you know, follow-up interest, follow-through, all those kinds of things. Um, I always encourage people to follow up with me. Um, and I would say you can't reach out too much. So if I say I'll get back to you or, you know, the timeline's been pushed back, I say, but reach out anytime, not a big deal. And I find that the candidates who do reach out to check in, even if it's just a, hey, what's going on with the role, you know, now that you push back the hiring timeline, am I still in your pool of candidates? I love it. I think it's great. It shows that you're not afraid to take initiative and put yourself out there. And I respond to 100% of those for sure. Awesome. Is there anything else you would like to share with this audience? Um, yeah, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And I think it's important, especially as women, to remember that, you know, women tend to apply for jobs that they are only aligned with, uh, you know, that they're aligned with 90 to 100% of the skills required. And men tend to apply for jobs that are lower uh, percentage of alignment. So if you see a job and you think that you can cover 50 to 60% of the duties or tasks or skills, and you're willing to show an aptitude to learn, to fill in the rest and to grow, I think that hiring managers really respond to that. And I think it's a positive. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And we will, um, did you have a resource that you wanted to share with this audience? Um, I would love if anybody is interested in contract project management, check out my website. It's called heronworksllc.com. So it's H-E-R-O-N works, W-O-R-K-S, LLC.com. Um, if you are a contract project manager, or you know somebody who needs one, you can always reach out to us um, and I'm happy to chat. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll get that linked up in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Talking Freelance with freelance expert, Leah Myers. Each Monday, a new episode is released. You can find us on all major podcast networks and at talkingfreelance.com. It is the mission of this podcast to support you to achieve success. The views and opinions expressed on the podcast are those of Leah Myers only and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Upwork. Leah Myers is not an employee of, nor does she receive any compensation from Upwork.